Daniel chapter 3, verse 14 says this. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you've heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, well, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this I love how ignorant God's word is sometimes. Just like, we're not even going to dignify that foolishness with a response. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to... Somebody say, the God we serve. Is, come on, say the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set uh, I feel like every week when I preach, I say this is my favorite passage, but this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I, uh, I heard a story, and I don't know how true it is, but I just think it's funny, of a, a senior pastor, and they were, they were heading out on a missions trip. They were in South America and kind of heading into a jungle area where the, the, the landing strip for an airplane was just really just a dirt road that they had carved out, and they're in the plane of the senior pastor, the youth pastor, some of the kids from the youth group, they were going on this missions trip. And, and all of a sudden, one of the engines in the plane, it just went out, and the plane began to nosedive. Now, I don't know about you, um, I, I'm not afraid of flying, uh, but uh, we'll just leave that right there. So the plane begins to no dive, and you can imagine everybody's losing their mind. People are screaming. People are yelling like the real Christians. They're, Jesus, save us, and they're calling out and all this other kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, that poor youth pastor just started cussing up a storm. I mean, bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> We're going down. Well, the pilot was experienced, and, and he got control of the plane, and he landed the plane. <laughs> and everybody gets calm, and, oh, thank you, Lord. And then they look at the youth pastor, right? And, I mean, he is embarrassed out of his mind. I feel right now, not even in America, but in the world, that we're kind of nosediving. I feel like not one engine has gone out like four of the four engines that we have as a country. The economy has gone out. Health has gone out. We're nosediving. Some of you are yelling and screaming. Some of y'all are shouting Jesus. And some of y'all are cussing out of your mind. <laughs> and hear me. This plane is going to land. We are going to make it it through this. Somebody say amen. amen. And when we do make it through, some of us are going to have to answer for some things that came out of our mouth during this season. 
and for where our faith was during this season. I love what the Hebrew boys said. They said, our God is able to deliver us. You have to understand, God is able to deliver us from this crisis, but not just from this crisis. God is able to deliver from depression. God is able to deliver from bankruptcy. God is able to deliver from job loss. Whatever you are going through, we have a God that is able to deliver. The only problem is it doesn't always look like he's able to deliver. And that's where faith comes in. Faith is what anchors us in a season of crisis. Faith is that anchor that says God sees me and he's paying attention to what's going on in my life. I'm not invisible. Hear me. God has not forgotten you. Faith says not only does God see me, but he is able and he is going to do something about my situation. Faith says that when I finally do pass away from this earth, I have nothing to be afraid of because of the blood of Jesus, because of Jesus' death on the cross, all sin, all shame, anything that can separate me from the love of God has been erased and I will spend eternity in heaven with God. I love what Paul said. Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I ain't skirt. <laughs> he said, if I live on earth, I'm gonna thrive because God is my God. And if I pass away, I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven. That is what faith is. Here's the problem. Everything that talks like faith, walks like faith, shout, excuse me, shouts like faith, <laughs> and looks like faith is not necessarily faith. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons in your name perform miracles? Y'all. That's one catalyst service. They prophesied, they cast out demons, and they healed people. Miracles were taking place. And it says, this was it. Then the Lord, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. God says it looked right. It sounded right. It was good. It just wasn't real. It just wasn't me. I had a friend back in college, and uh, he had a Rolex. Uh, it was one of those, like, you know, super fancy, expensive watches. The only problem is he was in college with me, and um, which means he was broke like me. And uh, I knew his grandpa, and his grandpa didn't give him the watch. And I said, brother, that's a really, really nice watch you have. And he said, oh, this thing? And he started laughing. He's like, oh, this is fake. <laughs> he, said it, he said it doesn't even turn it doesn't even tell time I, I got it off of a street stand one time and he, and he, he was so proud of his fake Rolex he, he took that off and he handed it to me y'all that watch was so heavy like, I mean, it felt real, had the little tree emblem, was kind of missing a tree, but it looked like the real thing it just wasn't the real thing some of us have faith that looks real kind of has a little bit of weight to it, but it's not the real thing. And one of the things, you're judgmental. You're judgmental. No, you're judgmental. The Bible is judgmental. The Bible says plainly that not everybody who claims to have faith actually has faith. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, I just love when the word Bible uses it. It says, the one who claims, I feel like there's skepticism all up in that. The one who claims, I know him, 
while not keeping his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in this person. James 2.14, my brothers and sisters, what good is it if you say they have faith, but do nothing to show it? Complaining to have faith can't save anyone, can it? In other words, here, here's, here's my prayer. Not that we would just claim to have faith, dress like we have faith, or look like we have faith, but that we would actually have faith. The type of faith that can get us through a crisis. The type of faith that can get us through a storm. The type of faith where everything may not look like it's going the way that we want it to go, but how much do you know the word says we live by faith and not by sight. So just because it doesn't look right doesn't mean that God is not still in control. Here, my dad, he, uh, he worked at a, a bank. This was probably before I was born. And, and he told me this story. He said, you know, when I first started working at the bank, they taught me to recognize counterfeit money. Because, you know, people come in and try to scam them or whatever it may be. And he said, here's how they taught us to learn counterfeit money. He said, they didn't give us counterfeit money. And the reason they didn't give us counterfeit money was there were too many counterfeits. There were literally probably as many counterfeits as they were crooks. <laughs> and he said, if we studied the fake, it would take us too long. He said, all they did was they gave us a real $100 bill. And he said, touch it, feel it, look at it. When you study the real thing, even if you've never touched a fake, as soon as you see a fake, you'll realize that that doesn't line up because I've seen the real thing. If you're going to know what real faith is, don't necessarily worry about what fake faith is or, or is my faith real. Just study the real thing. And you are going to begin to recognize, man, how do I develop a real faith in my life? So here's what I want to do. You're, you're, you're trapped in your house, trapped in your car. We're all trapped. So I want to preach for the next four and a half hours about, y'all didn't even flinch. Y'all, <laughs> we found the most spiritual people in the entire church. Y'all are probably so nervous to mess up this video. You're just like, whatever he says, amen. No. <laughs> One day I'm going to preach for four hours. But I just want to give you just three, just three thoughts about real faith. The first one is this. Real faith has no contingencies. Real faith has no contingencies. These three Hebrew boys, they, they were asked, are you going to abandon your faith? Are you going to give up on God just because some plague swept the earth? Are, are, are you going to turn your back on God? Are you going to turn your back on, on being a follower of God just because you lost your job? Come on. Let's get real. Just because you were diagnosed with a disease, just because you lost that child, just because that relationship broke apart. I mean, it's all well and good to say some funny stuff, but, but what happens when life really happens? And I love what these Hebrew boys said. They said, our God is able to deliver us and he will. Here's the phrase. Even if he doesn't. Here's what they were saying. Our faith and trust and worship in God is not contingent on an outcome. It's not, God, if you heal, then I will. God, if you deliver, then I will. God, if you, real faith isn't based on what God can do for us. Real faith is based on what he has already done, even if you I heard this story uh, of this young man in middle school. His name was James. And James was just 
bigger than all of the kids. He was taller. He was stronger. James was, he, James, he was just a huge brother. <laughs> and the thing about James is he was, he was big, but he was quiet. Kind of like that gentle giant type of personality. So he, he, when he came to this new school in sixth grade, everybody was terrified of him because he was just bigger than them. They thought he was a bully and all that other kind of stuff. But when they realized that he was quiet and that he wasn't that terrifying, it flipped. And they started to bully him, started to make fun of him and talk about him, said that he wasn't as bright as the rest of the kids. And, and James kind of didn't even bother, didn't deal with him or whatever, just going about his business. And one day, these two guys that were just not as big as James, they just got really bold. And they, I think they were trying to earn some confidence or whatever it may be. And they started to push James up against the locker and said, you're, you're, you're not that tough and you're all big and bad. You're not going to do anything or whatever it may be. Well, my brother James, he, he rolled up and... <laughs> He grabbed one of those kids by the neck, picked him up, pushed him into the locker, said, leave me alone. Y'all didn't know. This is, this is the anti-bullying message. <laughs> so watch this. No one ever messed with James again. Ever. There was never a question of, is he quiet? Is he a pushover? At that one situation, they knew he is not to be messed with. Everybody's worried. You're like, where am I going with this? Well, there was this one day when Jesus took death and sin by the neck and pushed it up against the gates of hell and said, leave me alone and leave my children alone. And from that moment was never to be questioned again. Hear me. The Bible says if he did not spare his own son, if he freely gave us Jesus, how much will he not give us all things? God, if you never do anything else for us again, you have already done enough by shedding your blood so that we can live for eternity. Real faith doesn't have a contingency. He will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow my knee to fear, to godlessness, to, to, to follow in my own. Here's what Job said in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. He said, even if it doesn't go my way, I am not turning my back. I'm not bowing to fear. I am going to put my hope in God. Now, Job was real. So he goes on to say, I will surely defend my ways to his face. He said, God, I'm going to complain, and I'm just going to go on the record saying, I don't like this. I'm not for this. I really wish you would deliver me, but I'm not retracting my faith. Real faith has no contingencies. Now, here's what I really want you to hear, because I feel like I'm a little discouraged right now, because my faith has a little bit of contingencies in it. Real faith is built Real faith takes building. These Hebrew boys that said, even if he doesn't hear me, they didn't start there. Maybe you're here and you're like, Pastor, this is probably the most discouraging message I've ever heard in my life because I don't even know if I believe God for my eternity. I don't even know if I believe God for next week's bills. How, how am I going to have it even if he doesn't faith? Well, here's what I want to tell you. It's built over time. You don't just pop out a Christian. You have this like Superman faith. No, it was built over time. The Bible says in Daniel chapter one that Daniel, who was one of the Hebrew nobles that were taken into captivity, it says when they were taken into Babylon, they made up in their minds that we will not defile ourselves by what's going on in this godless and pagan country. In other words, they didn't wait until they got to that fiery furnace to decide that they were going to stand for God. For years prior, I believe even when they were in Israel, they were developing and growing their faith. They were developing something that they were going to need in a season of crisis. 
Faith is one of those things that it doesn't just grow because you go to church every Sunday. Well, because you sit in your house and you watch church every Sunday. Faith doesn't just grow because you believe in God. It's something that must be built. I'm on a, uh, a two-year two year war right now with my grass in the front lawn. and all I've been at war with my grass. When we first moved into our house, uh, we had house and we had mud. It was just like this big dirt patch out front, and I just took on my mission. Like, I'm going to grow me some grass. I was out there last year, all year long. I'm digging up weeds. I'm planting uh, seeds. And I just want to say in front of everybody who's watching that my wife had no faith in me whatsoever. She's like, why don't you call somebody? Like, I could call a landscaper. We could fit it in the budget. I said, no, I've got this. And I went out and planted my grass, and I watered it like once a month and all this. I'm not much of a landscaper, but anyway, I fought my grass, and I got like little spurts of grass, right? Well, now that the season is beginning to break and it's round two, the grass that I planted last year has exploded. Now, last year, it was like, now it's just because I've been building it over time. Now, here's the problem. Along with the grass has exploded weeds, and now I got a new problem. (laughs) But here's the thing. Just like grass multiplies season after season after season, faith multiplies season after season after season. It's something that you must build. You don't just pop up and, and have even if he doesn't faith. So a couple of things on how to build your faith. The first thing I need to learn how to do is to feed my faith. Faith doesn't grow unless you feed it. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by what you hear. Can I talk for a second? So if all you hear is CNN, NBC, Fox News, the world is coming to an end, the sky is falling, the sky is falling! Then you look at your phone and your cousin who does not work at the Pentagon, but they have a friend who has a friend who has a friend that works at the Pentagon. I, you know, I have somebody who works in the Bush administration and they were telling me they're retired. They don't know anything. <laughs> we're, no, seriously, we're feeding our faith with fear. And then we're wondering why it's producing anxiety and worry. No, no, hear me. I'm not saying to be uneducated. I'm not saying not to know what's going on. But the Bible says faith grows when you fill yourself with the word of God. This is the time to not just watch this message, but to go back through every archive. I need to watch that series and this series and that series. This is the time where I need to jump into God's word, where I need to feed my faith. The first thing is feed my faith. The second thing is this. I need to exercise my faith. You, 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 can't just, you can't just feed your faith. You have to, I was just telling them, this is bad and this is not funny at all. But, but uh, with, with all that's going on, the gyms were shut down for a while. And I was asking them, you know, I know you guys work out a lot. So I was like, what are you doing with the, with the gyms being closed? They're like, well, we're running outside and we're running with our dog and all that other kind of stuff. And I say, you know what I'm doing with the gyms being closed? The same thing I was doing when they were open, not going to. <laughs> Which is why I'm as ripped. At, don't laugh. That's not funny. But here's the thing, you can eat all the protein shakes and bars and you could feed, but if you're not exercising, you're not gonna see any results. No, 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 no. You have to use your faith. What does that look like? Everything around me looks like it's crashing down, but I'm making a decision that I'm not gonna crumble. 
I'm going to put my hope, I'm going to put my, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to climb under the bed and come out eight weeks from now. I'm going to continue to show up every day. I'm going to continue to move forward. I'm going to continue to trust God. I'm going to continue to put in applications, even though the last 12 have been turned down. I'm going to continue to to reach out to that loved one, even though they've brushed off my last few responses or whatever it may be. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to work my faith. Another way that faith is built is when we speak our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. What comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. What you believe is what you say. And I'm... I'm not jumping on you, just going to be honest. Like that youth pastor that was cussing all the way down. Some of us have had some words that have come out of our mouth in this season of crisis that didn't point to, man, God is able to deliver. It pointed to, I feel like I'm abandoned. I feel like I'm forgotten. I feel like I'm in this by myself. I feel like it's, it's Bonnie and Clyde, us against the world. Uh-uh, it's not you against the world. Bonnie and Clyde didn't make it. God is with you. God is for you. And sometimes, sometimes we have to learn how to say what we know to be true according to the word, but we don't necessarily feel true. I'm covered. I'm protected. My children are taken care of. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm not battling with depression anymore. I don't have to worry about the economy. God is my provider. Am I freaking out? Yes. But I'm going to speak that my God is for me and watch my faith grow based on what comes out of my mouth. The last thing is this. Real faith gets tested. Real faith has no contingencies. Real faith requires some building, but real faith gets tested. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you are quarantined for weeks. Sorry, wrong translation. It's a glitch on the iPad. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces. One of the things that's been on my heart in church, I'm telling you, I am praying for you. Me and my wife are lifting you up before God. And, and I know that as a country, we're just kind of going through a crisis. And, and I feel right now, kind of the shock of this COVID-19 thing is kind of, it's kind of hit us. This is the new reality. We, 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 we're not quite sure, but I feel like where the new fear is coming from is fear of the future of what's now going to happen to my job, to my income, to this country. Yeah, we're going we're to get a grip on this sickness, but, but, but what is America? What is Nigeria? What is UK? What is the world going to look like after this? It's kind of just got, and here's what the Bible says, that this season that we're going is going to produce perseverance. And here's what it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials 
makes your faith mature and complete. And it says, actually, it's not until your faith is tested that you know that you're not lacking anything. I was thinking about a car. You know, they'll assemble a car, they'll put it all together, and they don't assemble a car and then they put it on the showroom floor. Now, we put it together, go out and, and, and drive it. No, when you buy a brand new car, it is going to have at least 15 miles on it. Why? Because they said before it's safe to put somebody in it, we've got to test it. We've got to get this thing up to 60 miles per hour and slam on the brakes and to make sure that those brakes work. we got to pull on that seatbelt and to make sure. We have to make sure that the things that are going to save people's lives have been tested so that when we need it, we can be confident that it's going to be there for us. Here's what God says. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, and I don't bring it into your life, but I'm going to use it to test you. Because you're going to want to make sure that your faith is fully mature. I'm reminded of the passage in 1 Kings chapter 17. It says there was a widow that was literally starving to death. The prophet Elijah came to her and, and she, he said, what do you have? And she said, we don't have anything but a little oil and a little flour. We're going to make a little cake or, or, or make a little bread. And me and my son are going to eat it and we're going to die. That's a bad plan. You got to come up with something else. So this last one, we eat this we're going to die. And, and here's what Elijah said. He said, go ahead, do that. But make me a cake first. <laughs> Sometimes the Bible is so insensitive. It says, yeah, yeah, you can make a, a piece of bread and die, but before you do, make, make the mind of God. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine how terrified Elijah was. Well, God, why would you tell a, a, a widow that had nothing to give you something? God, why would you tell me to tithe? Why would you ask for 10% of what I have? Why would you ask me to, to help other people? Why would you ask me to be generous when I'm, I'm barely holding on to sanity myself? Why would you ask something from me when I barely have anything? So she asked for the cake and she made the prophet the cake and God multiplied all that she had and they lived through this uh, plague or, or, or through this drought. Well, years later, her son died. When her son died, she thought, I've seen a miracle before. I remember when that prophet came and, and we were about to die on that last little piece of bread. And, and if he could do that miracle then, maybe the same God can perform him. And she went and found that prophet and told him, my son has passed away. And the Bible says she wasn't worried. She wasn't losing her mind. It says she was actually calm when she came to the prophet. And he says, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, everything's okay. I just need you to do what you did. Here's what happened. That first time when she was tested without having food, that testing brought maturity to her faith. So when she really needed it and it was a life and death situation, she had some faith to lean on. I'm not going to lie to you. From school till now, I've always hated tests. <laughs> can't stand them because it's like, you know, you can, you can kind of make it up in class, but when that test comes out, that Scantron, it is time to prove it. Do you know this or not? None of us like tests, but I'm telling you, you are in the midst of a test right now. And this test is maturing and developing. God, I don't see how this is going to turn out, but God, I'm still, in, I'm still trusting you. God, the sickness hasn't gone away, but God, I'm still trusting you. God, the relationship seems to be getting worse the more I pray about it, but I'm still, it's a testing. And I'm telling you, through this season, God's going to deliver us. But if we could see our faith become mature, it's going to serve us in ways that we never thought possible. 
So to finish up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, it says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke and saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? So watch this. The music played, and the Hebrew boys, they did not bow. And Nebuchadnezzar said, he did what exactly he was going to say. He picked them up, and he threw them into the fire. Ah! Their greatest fear came to pass. Looks like they're going to have to cash in on that even if he doesn't. So watch this. It says, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said, look, he answered, I see four men. And they're not tied up. They're loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I wish I had time to preach how the fourth man in the fire was Jesus Christ himself that said, I know thousands of years from now I'm going to hang on the cross, but I see people in the midst of a storm, and I want to step into that situation. Land is playing. Someone said, calm down. Stay. They told me to stay on the stool. This is like torture. I'm quarantined on this stool. Why didn't Jesus put out the fire? Hmm? When they picked these Hebrew boys up and threw them in the fire, why didn't he extinguish it instantly? Can we talk for a second? Because in a few chapters, he shut the mouth of the lion. He didn't climb into that lion's den with Daniel. He shut the mouth of the lion. Why is it that God allowed them to be thrown into that situation? Why is it that God allowed them to go through that storm? I just think, could it be that A, he was testing their faith, and B, he was excited not to fix the problem, but to step into the midst of the problem with them and to let them know you can be in a problem and the problem not affect you. You could be... You could be living the worst day of your life and it still not turn out as bad as you thought it would be. Like God is able to heal, but you could actually receive that diagnosis and realize that God is right there in that hospital room with you. We serve a God that is able to deliver, but he's a God that loves to step right into the situation with us. I don't know what fire you're going through right now, but I'm telling you, there is a fourth man in that fire. And this fourth man, he looks like the son of God. You may be worried about what's gonna happen, how's this gonna turn out, and I don't know if this is reassuring, but I don't know. How long is this gonna last? I don't know. How long is it gonna take to get things back to normal? I don't know, but this is what I do know. I'm not in this by myself and neither are you. That God himself, Emmanuel, is with you. And it may look bad. Guess what, Mandela? It is bad. <laughs> it is bad. But even bad ain't that bad when the creator of the universe is right there with me. Can I pray for you? Father God, we're grateful that you are able to deliver. And God, right now, miracles are breaking out, God, all over our nation, God, in every home, God, in every car, in every person that is tuning in right now, God, you are moving supernaturally in their lives. God, we're grateful that you're not just the God that, that shuts the mouth of lions. You're not just the God that extinguishes fires. You're the God that steps into every situation with us. And God, we are inviting you, God, into our lives. 
right where you're sitting, right where you're viewing, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe for the first time, and I'll be honest with you, all of us are in this boat where we realize, man, my faith is not what I thought it was. I have faith, but it's just not as mature. It's not as strong. Or maybe for the first time you realize that you've never had faith, confidence in God alone. Maybe your faith has been in money or in, or in the health of your body or in the health of our country or whatever it may be. And all that's been shaken. But in this moment, God is asking, will you put faith in the one thing that can never fail you? And that's Jesus Christ. Right where you are. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to put all my hope, all my trust in Jesus. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for thinking about me, for loving me, even before I was aware of you. Thank you for dying on the cross, giving your life so that I can be forgiven and my eternity secure. Today, I put my faith, I put my trust, I put my hope in you. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Deliver me from this crisis. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, guys. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision you can ever make?